you uh, have been with us with all, this is the fourth lesson that we're going to be doing. Uh, but uh, I want to open up tonight as we think about relevant Christianity. Uh, this past week, the body of Christ lost one of my spiritual heroes, Dr. Billy Graham. He was someone who ministered to 12 presidents, starting with uh, really Harry S. Truman and going through to uh, President Obama. He was an individual who most importantly evidenced moral integrity. Um, he uh, showed that in every way. He also was a person who was occupied with the need for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. First book I read as a teenager that he wrote was Peace with God. Uh, a fantastic book. If you've never read it, you need to read it. Uh, Peace with God. And uh, he also was a man who spoke truth. And what I loved is he had a passion to bring others to Jesus Christ. In fact, he preached in 185 different countries to approximately 215 million people over 60 years of ministry. Undoubtedly, I think we can say he was someone that impacted people from all walks of life. <laughs> and that's nothing to the ones that he would do on, when they would be in telecast. He said, now you out there in Tulane. Yeah. Those of you who are in hotels or in a bar tonight, I used to remember that. Uh, I think we can conclude that Billy Graham sought to make Christianity relevant. Uh, so uh, that's we're, we're going to begin. And if you remember last time, uh, we were looking at a passage of Scripture and uh, we looked at three particular points in, in the solution. We're now in the solution aspect, uh, how to become relevant, uh, the solution to being relevant. And um, we looked at being winsome, uh, we looked, excuse me, we looked at being, um, uh, how would I say, to uh, assimilate rather than, uh, no, excuse me, to accommodate rather than assimilate. Uh, we looked at being serviceable. Uh, and uh, so we're going to look at several of these things, I believe, tonight. And, but take your Bible, if you will, and come with me to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, I'm going to begin reading as I did before. Verse 19. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave... I have made myself a slave, a bondservant, really, to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. To win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. What a statement he's making there. Good evening, Linda. Uh, Randy, good to see you. So, this is the passage I believe sums up the solution to uh, being relevant as a Christian. And the next area I want you to look at, if you're following your notes, it's letter D. If we're going to be relevant, it's going to be because you and I are becoming winsome. Winsome. Paul, W-I-N-S-O-M-E, winsome. He makes two statements rather repeatedly here, but he says that I might win the more. And then he says that I might win those who are weak, those who are Jew, those who are under the law. He says that statement again. What was his key word there? What's the key word that he was saying there? Tell me. What is it? Win. That's not hard. I wasn't trying to trick you. You're cautious, aren't you, Patrick? Yeah. Win. Well, what in the world does it mean to be winning? What is, the, what, it is to, what is it to be one who wins? Gain something. Huh? You gain. Very good. Gain. What else? Huh? Achievement. Okay, good. Redeemed. Okay. Redeemed. What else? 
Anything else? And this type of winning is unselfish. I like that. Very good, Joe. Unselfish. Very good. Anything else? Anything else? Very, I, I like the statement you made. And you'll see that some of these things we're going to look at. But very good. When we win, we gain for eternity. When we win, we're achieving something. We're achieving for who? Christ. And we're seeing them redeemed. And then we're also being very unselfish. Uh, I think it's been, and this is, I've found this out as a pastor and in the ministry these years. The Holy Spirit speaks in powerful ways. And I think it's unique to see the study that Pastor Andy has been doing Sunday morning. And him and I did not talk about his. And he merely asked me if I would do a series on Sunday nights. And I said, yes. He said, do you know what you're going to do? And I had, because he had talked about it. And so I, I knew what I wanted to do. This was it. And yet, did you see, it's, it's almost overlapping each other. That has to be the Holy Spirit. Amen. No other explanation. So he's saying winsome. Let's look at what it is to be winsome using this aspect of winning. Paul, I believe, is emphasizing that you and I engage people with logical responses. And that means you and I do not always debate them. I have learned a long time ago to stop debating people. I don't debate. Don't take this wrong. I'm not trying to be egotistical. I'm trying to be biblical. Why do you have to debate if you know you're right? Is that true or not? I know this book is true. I know what I believe is true. I don't have to debate it. The last time I had a real debate was in a church I pastored in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And uh, <laughs> I had uh, a lady that came to the church, and her name was Marion Tober. And Marion Tober said to me, Pastor Ken, would you come to my house I have two ladies that are her Jehovah Witnesses, and, and they're seeking. They're seeking. As a young preacher in my late 30s, early 40s, I said, all right. So I went for two solid hours. I believe there was one of those ladies that really was seeking. The other one was wanting a pastoral trophy and she was trying to corner me and every time she'd take me to a scripture I would take her to another one and say hey here you see this and and so I was debating her and at the end of the two hours I had had it and I merely said you know what you're not going to change me and apparently I'm not going to change you but can I pray with you and I prayed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I decided then I'm not going to debate anymore. I'm going to give them logical responses, but I'm not going to debate them. And I'm not going to try to shove something down their throats. Too many Christians try to do that. Shove the message of the gospel down their throats. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It turns them more off than it turns them on. And certainly we don't want to be ones who... Seek to only gain this, an emotional or spiritual trophy. Well, I won that per... No, you didn't. If anybody's won to Christ, it's through the Holy Spirit. It's not through you and me. So we have to give them logical responses. If we're going to be winsome, it also has to do with uh, a much higher goal. What is the highest goal? Namely, to be successful at causing people to see the truth. Causing people to see the truth or also to speak truth into their hearts. <clears throat> I don't know where you stand concerning the Word of God. Most of you I know that you love the Word of God. But uh, I think we need to, in our day in which we live, start memorizing the Word of God. Don't you? Um, I think it's essential 
We can't just know about the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God and to be able to bring the what? The message to them. Speak the truth into their life. Um, we miss out on so much when we don't learn how to speak the truth and to speak truth into people's hearts. And once we do those two things, we speak the truth and we endeavor to speak truth into people's hearts, then we must allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. We try too many times, and that's why we haven't had relevant Christianity, because we have tried to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We've tried to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's not what God asked us to do. He's asked us to speak the truth and to speak truth into people from what we know from God's Word and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Because I think He knows how to handle it. <laughs> You know, he does. So we need to be winsome. That's uh, one of the solutions, I believe, to relevant Christianity. And you and I have to identify with that. Are we there yet? Are we being winsome? Are we seeking to really gain, achieve, and redeem? But there's a fifth part of the solution. It advocates that you and I embark upon relevant Christianity by participating in an intentional rescue operation an intentional rescue operation catch this paul says so that i may by every possible means save some what do you think is involved help me out here what do you think paul was saying when he said every possible means what was he talking about every possible means come on help me Every possible means. I'm, I'm going to use every possible means to do what? To save some, to see people delivered. What's the possible means? All right, praying for them. Very good. Prayer. What else? Huh? Yes, going where they are, not where we want to go. Going where they are. Going the extra mile. Go, I'm go Did you read my notes? Okay. Go the extra mile. That's going to be one of my things. So he robbed me of that. But I'll tell you a little more on it. Yeah, you knew. Okay. See, he comes to a Bible study I teach on Tuesday nights. So he, he knows my notes. Uh, but, okay, anything else as far as this rescuing? Gone every possible means? What else is there? Anything? Huh? Preaching. A word for preach is proclaiming. Proclaiming. As you go about your business, proclaim. Proclaim. Yeah. Diligence. Yes. Very good. Diligence. Diligence. Clearly. Listening. Oh, very good, Bobby. Listening. Listening. How many of you are, can... Rationalization. Huh? Rational, all right. Help me, Patrick, what am I spelling? What? R-A-T. R-A-T. Yes. Yep. Yeah, there we go. Rational, okay. I want to give you an example of somebody that I personally knew did this. Every possible means to save some. Here's my father-in-law. He was a pastor, but he was more to me an, an evangelist. I don't think I've ever seen anyone that was more concerned about rescuing people for Jesus' sake than my father-in-law. You get on an elevator, he'd use this thing over and over. And I heard it because I've been on elevators with him. The doors would shut. You know, life's like an elevator. And he'd say it out loud. Life's like an elevator. You're either going to go up or down. Which way are you going? <laughs> he wanted to rescue people. He used whatever possible means. And man, when you shut the elevator doors, you know, man, you got a captive audience for a few seconds, right? <laughs> I mean, where are they going to go? They can't go anywhere. And he would use it. He'd go into restaurants. He'd always leave a track. 
he would always make sure he talked to people. Man, if he was talking to somebody, he would always introduce them to Jesus. I mean, he was always concerned about introducing them to Jesus. Every possible means he utilized. He'd go door to door. He'd do what I, I came to call as cold turkey. He'd just go up and down the streets in Baltimore, Maryland. He was a pastor for seven years, and that's what he did. Armstead Gardens, he would go up and down, knocking on doors. Faith said one sight she will never forget as a little girl in her dad's church. There was a gentleman in that church, Armstead Gardens Presbyterian Church, that dad had witnessed to. He had shared the gospel with him over and over and over again and had prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. One Sunday morning, he was in church and Faith said he stepped out of his pew and walked to dad and said, dad, she said, that's the first time I saw my dad really cry. And she said, he just stood there and wept. And this guy hugged my, my father-in-law and, and did what? He rescued him. We don't do that kind of stuff anymore. If we're going to make Christianity relevant again, you and I have to realize we're rescuing people out of hell. Yeah. Out of hell. Unless you see a picture of hell where the worm dieth not, where the worm dieth not, where the flames do not stop, where the torment continues, unless you have a picture of hell, you'll never rescue anybody. You'll never use every possible means that you have. said there was an old man sitting in the back. The preacher was preaching, an old country preacher. And the old man stood up and he raised his hand and he said, Pastor, tell him Satan is real. Amen. Yeah, he is. And we don't hear a lot of that. And we have to rescue him right. from that. Yes. All right, how do we rescue? Here's what it is. First thing I think we need to do is we need to be desirous of rescuing people from their sin and its bondage. Do you believe that sin binds us? really binds us? The Apostle Paul affirmed that we must utilize all possible means to what? Make them see that. What? Sin binds you. You're in chains. And you're walking like this in chains. You can't go anywhere. People need to see that. They might think that they're, they're enjoying life, but they're not. They're in bondage. By every possible means, if I saw any of you in danger, I would do anything I had to do to rescue you. Well, if we believe that we're going to be relevant in our Christianity, we need to see people that are lost all around us. Lee Earnshaw, Jr., in my hometown, I prayed for that young man. He's a little older than me. I prayed for that man for years and years. Every Friday, I pray for my hometown. Lost people in my hometown. I pray for him. And I prayed for Lee Earnshaw Jr. His dad coined a phrase because he knew I was going to be studying for the ministry from the time I was a little kid. This is what they called me. Hey, Rev. Hey, Rev. And Lee Jr. would call me Rev. When I have opportunity once a year to go up now to Pennsylvania and I go to my hometown, I would see him. And he would allow some profanity to come out. He would, of course, say, pardon my French. <clears throat> but, of course, some of the words he used I never heard even in French. But he would say it. So one time, I was up to Pennsylvania just a few years ago. And I went to see him and I was talking about... He, he took care of the cemetery where my mom and dad are buried, and I, I wanted to ask him some questions about it. So I went in and talked to him. And, and I noticed while I was there, he didn't use any profanity. And I said to him, have you ever met my wife, Faith? He said, I believe so. Well, we walked out to the car, and he, you know, I said, you remember Faith? Yes, I do. And, they, you know, they start talking. And I, I couldn't help it. I said, Lee, can I ask you a question? Do you know what it is? to be in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? He said, yes, Kenny, I do. And my wife 
and I started going to Harmony Methodist Church. And when I say Methodist, it's a church right now that is preaching the gospel. That, that church is growing, actually. And uh, he said, I started going to church there. And he said, I'm, I'm taking mom and dad there, too. And I've been praying for his mom and dad. Of course, they're now both in, in eternity. I'm praying that they came to know Christ. But isn't it neat to know now Lee Earnshaw Jr. knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? I've been down here, but that doesn't say I can't pray all possible means to what rescue them from their sin and their bondage. Notice the second part of being winsome. It's for you and I to go the extra mile and go the extra mile by not condemning people, but convincing individuals of another alternative. It's easy to condemn them, isn't it? It's easy to condemn them. You see a drunk, you go, look at that guy staggering there, man, he's a drunk. Look at that drug addict, you know. Look at this. And we can condemn them all day long. But catch this, my, my cousin Jim Evans, he's a, in mission work, he made a statement that I love. <laughs> he said this, blaming a sinner for sinning is like blaming a blind man for tripping over a rug. <laughs> a blind man's going to trip over a rug because he can't see. And a sinner's going to sin because they're what? Blind. They can't see their sin. So don't condemn them. It's easy to condemn. Convince them of the alternative. Remember the account of Jesus? There was an adulterous woman. She uh, was caught in the act. And uh, what happened? They, he said, uh, he got down and started writing. I believe, I'm, I'm just assuming. I believe he was writing their names down. <laughs> because it says that they dropped their rocks. And, and it was after they looked down the ground. He must have wrote some of their names. He was God. He could write their names. And as soon as they saw that, ooh, mm -hmm, they dropped their rocks and they left. And pretty soon, there was no condemners there. He said, Jesus said, where is your condemners? And they said, they've all gone. And then he made this statement. I mean, this is something else. God saying this then I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to condemn you for your adultery, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't do it anymore. <laughs> Go and an alternative. <laughs> I don't have to do it. I believe we can have a, a society today that can have, guess what? A renewed innocence. I believe that. If they've messed up in their life, they can have a renewed innocence. But we've got to give them an alternative, and the alternative is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Another part of the winsomeness is living an exemplary life. Living an exemplary life. And how do we do that? Amidst life's complexities. Life's complexities. Faith and I were just talking this afternoon, and I'm saying... Faith, this is going to be our first trip since my fall, since I passed out. Any of you ever pass out? Yeah. This is the first time in my whole life of almost 67 years I'd ever passed out. First time ever. And it scared me. I'm honest. I, it scared me. So I'm thinking about driving. Scared. Thinking about ministering away from home. I've done it. But now, you see what I'm saying? That's a complexity. And I need to be exemplifying the fact of what? Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. I need to be like the Apostle Paul. Paul gave a list of all the things that had happened to him, being shipwrecked, being beaten, all the things that he'd done. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, my wife's favorite passage, he sums everything up by saying this, God's grace is sufficient. Amen. People are not going to necessarily always believe a preacher and might not even accept the Word of God as such. But when you and I live it,
for real, they're going to say something. They're going to see something different. <clears throat> and that's what it ought to be. Exemplary Christian living. Are we seeing that today? Let's be honest, the church. What's happened to the church? All inward, all my people, this, uh, my family, and that's great. That's what the church is supposed to be. But the church is also to have something else. And that's what we're missing. We need to have exemplary living. Notice a fourth thing. We need to stand out from the secular crowd and be different. Stand out from the secular crowd and be different. There was a man named Daniel. Remember Daniel? He and uh, we know him by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They came and uh, they were young teenagers. Shoved into a, a godless society. And they were given a first test. King's going to give you all these delicacies to eat. You can have everything you want. He wants to glean you for future service to him. Daniel and his friends said, we're not going to eat it. Just give us vegetables and water. And I believe our countenance is going to be better than those that can have all the treasured foods of, of the Babylonian Empire. <laughs> I just believe that's going to happen. You, you just give us, and if it isn't the case, we'll go from there. When the time was up, the ones who were the healthiest and looked the best was Daniel and his friends. They stood out. They were different. Nebuchadnezzar made, by pressure, a god of himself, an image of himself. And when the instruments were played, everyone was to bow down and worship him, that idol of him. And Daniel said, no, so, not going to do it. I won't do it. And get what happened? He was thrown in a lion's den, wasn't he? No, that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were done that. Oh, yeah. 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 But Daniel was thrown in a lion's den. And God closed their mouths. Mouths the whole time that Daniel was down there. Wow. Was he different? Yeah. How many of you would want to go down to a lion's den when they hadn't eaten? And you would be the diet. I'm going, no way. No way. But Christian, we need to see in our world today, people are willing to be different. Willing to be different. And yet there's a fifth thing I want you to notice. We need to present households which demonstrate their faith. Households that demonstrate their faith. There's an example in Scripture of a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. They came alongside of a man named Apollos, remember? Straightened him out on some of his doctrine. <laughs> but what were they? They were a good Christian couple. They helped the Apostle Paul in ministry. You don't see them mentioned but a few times in Scripture, but when you say Priscilla and Aquila, you know who I'm talking about. And they lived their faith. <clears throat> Households that live their faith. Families that gather for prayer together. Parents that raise their children by the Word of God. You know, when you have your kids, you, you discipline them and they say, I'm sorry. Why not use the Scripture on them? Are you sorry unto repentance? That's scriptural, isn't it? Are you sorry unto repentance? Don't just be sorry because you got, your hand, you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. <laughs> That doesn't, that doesn't cut it. Are you sorry under repentance? In other words, you're not going to do it again. Because otherwise I'm going to hear, I'm sorry, again and again and again. What do we need to do? We need to be doing that again. Instead of allowing our kids to use all this technology 
I love Kurt Cameron. Kurt Cameron knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, him and his wife. They have six kids. <laughs> and he has a documentary he's doing now on technology, saying we need to, as parents, control the technology. Not to allow kids to what? Have access totally to technology that they can get on stuff that they should not get on. Keep them away from it. Wow. Is that relevant Christianity? Yep. But we're afraid to do that today. Oh, we can't discipline our children in public because we might be thrown in prison. I never advocated beating children. But if their little heinies when they were younger needed spanking, I'm going to spank their little heinie. And I did. And I don't regret it. I, you know my children, Paul and Lois. I mean, they're not walking around going like this, you know, because dad spanked them. And there was times as a preacher, I couldn't discipline them on church. All I had to do is if I saw them acting up and they're sitting down there with their mom, I'd just go like this. And that look meant if I don't straighten up when I get home, I will get it. I didn't say, you're going to get it, you're going to get it, you're going to get it. They should have gotten it a long time ago. And that's what we're seeing today, aren't we? Spare the rod, spoil the child. What, I mean, the Bible says that, doesn't it? it? Talks about disciplining. If we're going to teach our children, the next generation, respect for authority, it has to begin with respecting mom and dad. If they don't learn how to respect mom and dad, they don't learn how to respect other people. They'll come up with these slogans. What do we want? Dead cops. When do we want them? Now. Don't even know my son who was a police officer for 18 years here in Columbus. Don't even know him. But what do they want? A dead cop. Don't even know anything about him. Don't know where he comes from. Doesn't know what they believe. But they just want a dead cop. They weren't taught right. And we need to what? Be individuals who are presenting households where they're displaying what? Those things. I, and, and we're not seeing it today. And unless the church gets a hold of that, we're in deep, deep trouble. The final aspect of developing, I believe, relevant Christianity concerns staying focused on the clear dividends. Staying focused on the clear dividends. Catch this bold statement by Paul. So that I may share in the blessings. Have you ever thought about what it must have been like the other day when Billy Graham entered heaven? And people who had died, who had been brought to Christ under his ministry, came up to Billy Graham and said, Thank you. Thank you for sharing the truth. Thank you. And he receives what? Just the mere blessing of that. Wow. It is the neatest thing to have people respond to you after years of ministry. People that now I'm no longer their pastor up in Pennsylvania, where I was for 12 and a half years. They still call me Pastor Ken, and I've told them they can call me Ken. And they won't. They won't call me Ken. Pastor Ken. Why? That's how they knew me. We need to gain his respect and we will receive the blessings. What's one of the ways we stay focused on the dividends? Number one, I believe by actively leading people to real transformation. Real transformation. My father-in-law, if I can refer to him again, on his deathbed, we were called one night since we've been here. Uh, we were teaching the college and career. I don't know if you were there that night, Patrick. We were playing Pictionary at our house, and uh, we got a phone call saying that my father-in-law was in the hospital up in Piedmont, Alabama, and uh, that they believed he had a massive heart attack. 
and that he had a long time to live. And so we finished up with the young people and we then got clothes packed and Faith said, can it probably be wise if we pack clothes for a funeral because we'd probably need to do that. So we did. He was a diabetic and he had, uh, when we got there, his eyesight had been affected, so he knew our voices. And I, I went up and said, hey, Dad. He said, hey, Ken. And uh, we talked. They took him to the emergency room, and they had him, I mean, excuse me, in the uh, intensive care unit. And uh, they had him on this oxygen thing, you know, and it was bugging the tar out of him. He was constantly pushing it, and, and he would push it aside. And, the nurse would say to him, how's your breathing, Mr. Pollock? And he'd go, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> it wasn't pretty good, but anyway, come to find out, the back part of his heart was blown away. And uh, I will never, never, never forget this. I said, Dad, after 60 years of you being in ministry, what would you say is the one verse that you would say we need to remember? Though he couldn't see me really clear, his blue eyes looked up at me and he said, well, Ken, I guess it would be 2 Corinthians 5.17. And he started quoting it. Therefore, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Amen. I said, thank you for sharing that, Dad. He didn't give it an emotional band-aid. He gave real transformation, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Shortly after that, his two sisters, one of them being my wife, were down the hall, and I was staying with him. The doctors came in and told me that he had probably just had another heart attack and that his time here wasn't going to be long. And I was watching the things and I saw his oxygen level going down. I saw his blood pressure getting closer. And I called his two daughters in and I'm standing there and watching both daughters, one on one side of his head and one on the other side both whispering the same thing. Dad, it's going to be okay. Go home and be with Jesus. And then we started singing Amazing Grace. His blue eyes were looking around, listening to our harmony together, the three of us, and looking around. And then we sang the last verse of Amazing Grace. And the lights went out. And he was transformed from this life into eternity. We need to transform people's lives. The second thing, we need to view one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Patrick, you know I've shared this and I'll share it tonight. One of the things I've shared with the guys on Tuesday night that they're responsible for now. Some of them, how long have you been coming to Bible study? Nine years? Ten years? Okay. What is their responsibility? Here it is. Everything that you've had taught to you, you're responsible to teach somebody else. Right? Man, the message that was preached this morning about the body of Christ and, and what, man, you can teach that. That'll work. One on one discipleship. Can you imagine what's going to happen to the church if we really took serious that thing, one-on-one -on -one discipleship? One-on-one -on -one discipleship. man from our last church came to me before I left there and he said, Pastor Ken, would you teach me the Bible? I've merely had a nominal Christian life. Would you teach me the Bible? I started doing it with him, and then I resigned. But every Thursday morning at quarter of 11, I meet him at Hamilton Square, 
and him and I sit in his truck and we go through a Bible lesson, going through the book of Genesis together, discussing the Word of God. Wow. His wife had shared, he has grown in the Lord so much. Why? Because the Word of God does it. <laughs> and we just need to do what? Take the time to be one-on-one -on -one with people. There we are. That's it. Paul did that to Timothy. Barnabas did it with John Mark, his nephew. Paul also did it with Onesimus, didn't he? Think about it. Coming alongside of him and being one-on-one. -on -one. Third thing is promoting the necessity of biblical reconciliation within relationships. Necessity of biblical reconciliation with relationships. Back, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Catch this in verses 19 and 20. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed the message of reconciliation to us. <laughs> What's our ministry? Reconciliation. You have any relationships that are not what they ought to be? Family member? Friend? Neighbor? What's your job? Reconcile. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. I don't care what they did to you. That has nothing to do with it. If you are a child of God and you want to be relevant in your Christianity, the first thing you do is say, listen, I want to say to you, I'm sorry. That guy I just talked to you about, let's say his first name. His first name is Jim. I had um, the uh, chairman of the personnel committee at the church stop me after church on Sunday morning and say, uh, Pastor, can I talk to you in the office? I said, yes. So then he said, I invited uh, Jim in, which is the, at that time was the building superintendent. He said, uh, I asked him to come in too. I said, all right. I went in and I said, what's going on? Jim has a hidden agenda. I said, oh, really? And what would that be? I don't know, but he has a hidden agenda. <laughs> I said, well, it's funny. I said, I'm his staff leader here at the church and we meet every week, and, and I tell him, here's the things that the, the personnel, I mean, the properties committee has asked you to do, and would you get these done, or here's some things I want you to get done. Uh, and he, he's done them. So I, I don't know what his personal agenda is. Well, he wants to spend all the church's money. This is a congregational form of government. We, he can't do anything without the congregation's approval yeah. to do it. So how's he spending all money? Finally, Jim, who had just started Bible studies with me, Jim looked over at him and said, you know, when you first came here to the church, he said, we started connecting and I really enjoyed getting to know you. And he said, I am truly sorry. And if I've offended you in any way, please forgive me. Now, listen, I'm sitting there in the chair and nothing said after that. I looked at the chairman of the properties committee and said, what's your response? I am not there yet. According to scripture, when somebody says, I'm sorry, please forgive me, there is no saying I'm not there yet from another Christian. What should it be? Reconciliation. I said, well, I'll promise you this. As long as I'm your pastor, if I see you in the hall, I see you someplace else in the church, outside the church, I'm going to say to you, are you there yet? Are you there yet? And I did. He saw me a, about a month ago at a viewing of somebody, that guy. Boy, he said, hello, Pastor Cannon. How'd he went? I think there was probably a reason. He was expecting me to say what? Are you there yet? 
Listen, we cannot be doing what God's asked us to do if what we see here in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 is accurate if Jesus reconciled us back to the Father, a holy God, then it is beyond us to say we don't have to reconcile with people here. He said, I've given you a ministry of reconciliation. If we see that happening, I guarantee you, Christian, people are going to say that's relevant. That's real. 2 Corinthians 4.18, and some of you know this passage, but go there anyway. Just humor me. 4.18. This is the final thing. It has to do with investing in eternal, not just temporal realities. So, we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Ooh. Are you going after the eternal? Are you going after the temporal? What is it? See, most people are going after the temporal. This is all we got. I'm going to gain it all. Well, I got it. But we ought to be gaining for eternity. Students, I want you to pray for Alice Lloyd College. I'm not going to go there and pat them on the back. I'm going to be sharing Luke 19 about Zacchaeus. And I'm planning on sharing with them a ladder to success. Looking at a sin-filled tax collector and how he became successful. And it wasn't by charging people more than he should have charged them. It was something else. I'm not going to what? Kid around with him. I'm, I'm past that. I mean, this guy's going to be 67 in a few weeks. <laughs> I mean, an old guy. Yeah. Young whippersnapper. Young whippersnapper, yeah. All right. Thank you. But I look at it this way. <laughs> yeah. I look at it this way. I'm immortal until God sees otherwise. So until that time, I want to be relevant. Bobby said he got the book, Good Faith. I hope all of the rest of you start getting that book too. I know you'll be able to. You said you got it online? Yeah, on um, Kindle. Kindle. So get it. I want to quote this. This is from uh, Mr. Kinman and Mr. Lyons in their book. They said this, and I love this. Quote, Scripture is a driver of church growth and spiritual vitality. The difference is not just following a successful teaching formula, but challenging congregations to learn to wrestle with Scripture, growing inward with Christ and facing outward as the body of Christ as a powerful combination. End of quote. Woo! Isn't that a neat statement? You want me to read it again? Okay, Tammy said yes. She wants to hear it again. Okay. Quote, Scripture is a driver of church growth and spiritual vitality. The difference is not just following a successful teaching formula, but challenging congregations to learn to wrestle with Scripture, growing inward with Christ, and facing outward as the body of Christ is a powerful combination. End of quote. Rick Deem was seeking an answer to the question, quote, is Christianity and the Bible too old-fashioned to be relevant in today's society? He made these observations. Number one, it's often thought that the Bible speaks to a different time and place. Not so. <laughs> Not so. Number two, since most non-Christians never go to church, their impression of Christians often come from the media. Bad choice. Bad choice. It shouldn't come from there. Third, the other main per capita of Christians is that they want to tell everybody else how they should live while ignoring the more fundamental aspects of proper moral behavior. And I say, yes, that's what it needs to be. Moral ethics. A matter of ethics. I've enjoyed, I hope you enjoyed being with us. I've enjoyed doing this series with you. Relevant Christianity. And I want you to write down this question. 
because I want you to think about this question. Are we going to make our Christianity relevant? Are we going to make our Christianity relevant? Or just satisfied with the status quo? Are we going to make our Christianity relevant? Or just be satisfied with the status quo? Everybody get that? I'm just about on time and I'm going to do something. You know that my uh, comfort zone is not necessarily this. But if you were to look at my Bible, when I die, my children, right, are going to see some of the things that I go over every day. My philosophical view, my life motto, my destiny, divine destiny, my prayer items that I go through. But my hymn, my hymn, which I believe is relevant. And if you'll let me sing it to you, this is it. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when tears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no shame of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I'll stand.